0: This is a podcast from The Red House, the former home of Benjamin Britten and Peter Piers. I'm Lucy Walker. Join me, colleagues and other guests for a monthly chat about all things Britten and Pears, plus music, culture, heritage in general, and anything else that might come up. Hello, and welcome to podcast number five from the Red House. Um, As in the previous two podcasts, uh, this is not actually from the Red House. We are still experiencing the coronavirus pandemic, so we're all still at home. Um, So I'm, I'm broadcasting from my study in my house and my guest today is my colleague, Chris Hilton. And you are Chris?
1: I am in Saxmundham, 10 miles away, but through the magic of radio, it's as if we were in the same room.
0: Isn't it amazing? Yes, this is this great um, uh, podcast kind of connecting software thing called Clean Feed that I've been using, which seems to just work brilliantly, even though it does sound like a kind of organic veg box or something. Um, Uh, But it's working. Should
1: they wish to sponsor our podcast, we're open to offer.
0: Great. So, what we're going to do is just we're going to have a conversation really about. Uh, so Chris and I both work for for the Red House in in differ, differing but related capacities. So we're going to talk a bit about that. Um, but broadly speaking, I guess we're talking about how we and how one generally um, documents, records, and then explains and communicates a life or an archive or uh, a collection and uh, and the kind of fascinations and interest thereof therein. Um, so perhaps we we'll just start with you, Chris, and so just just to say what it is that you do at the Red House and how you came how you came to be there
1: right okay well I'm I'm head of the archive and library here at the Red House so um, that means I I lead a small team of people in the purpose-built building for that houses Britain's archive just across the lawn from the Red House it went up in 2013 um, really as part of the Britain centenary celebrations. I should say that I uh, was not there at the time. I know nothing other than this brilliant purpose-built building. My my colleagues who've been here for longer speak rather wanly about the port cabin years that preceded it. (laughs) But I came in really knowing only the lap of luxury. Um, And what we do basically is look after what is, as far as we know, the biggest freestanding composers archive in the world. Uh, there are other composers who've left us a lot of papers, but they tend to be within bigger institutions like the British Library. Um, in so far as um, archives with, of just one composer go, we are, as far as we know, the biggest. And I'd be very surprised if there was anything actually out there on anything resembling the scale that we have. Um, Britain... I think was a, a natural keeper of papers, shall we say? I'm, I'm not using the word hoarder, <laughs> um, but let it let, let that hang in the background. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> others would call him a hoarder. I could not possibly comment. Um, he and Peter Pears, of course, lived at the Red House from the late 1950s through to their deaths in the mid 70s and mid 80s, respectively. So they had the the great um, advantage, as f- for future archivists of living in a large house with a lot of storage space and not leaving, not having a clear out. So basically they kept a lot of stuff and then um, when they died and the house was turned over to the Britain Pierce Foundation, now Britain Pierce Art, um, there was pretty much uh, an intact archive and that that archive is not just uh, the, the papers that you would expect, the, the documentation of their, their artistic lives, but also the the everyday functioning of the household, the um, the political activities and, um, and pacifist activities that they engaged in, but also just the, the utterly... I hesitate to use the phrase bog standard, but I think bog standard <laughs> will, will do as a way of getting across what i are after. I suppose the things that we all do, the, the, the running of your household, the administrative and financial stuff. And that uh, is... That contributes to an extremely well-rounded view of of Britain and peers as as individuals, and I think I'm sure we'll touch on this later. But obviously, one of the things that you do a lot uh, when you're um, well, one one of the things that you struggle against, perhaps, uh, with an archive of this nature, is the feeling that the classical music is is a somewhat recondite area. Uh, how do you make that relatable, mm-hmm. um, and that? somehow a classical composer and an operatic tenor must be ethereal figures who spend (laughs) their life jetting from La Scala to the Met in New York and existing on some sort of plane of cultural hyperspace that's remote to the rest of us whereas actually um the, what the archive does is is turn them into real people you know it, it shows yeah. that they they go they perform at La Scala or, or at the met but they also have to have their car moted and they need to pay <laughs> their gas bill so what we do basically is, is is make use of that archive to tell the britain story in in all its roundedness
0: um yeah. but I, th- and I think it's also fair to say that that perhaps Perhaps collectively, as an organisation and generally, Britain Scholarship didn't know anywhere near as much about Britain's receipts until, until you started.
1: <laughs> so um, I think that they that they has have become been... something of an obsession.
0: <laughs> but they are, um, in terms of that. Roundedness and that and those then avenues of exploration that mm. you can you come in via Britain and yeah. you end up looking at as you've often said that the history of the height of Albra High Street or just yeah. just the general a kind of um, cultural study of shopping habits in the 1940s '50s yeah. and '60s which is yeah. weirdly compelling
1: warning to all listeners you're about to hear the nerdiest phrase you're going to hear this year M- my favorite receipt uh, my favorite <laughs> receipt uh, is. It's 1966, January 1966, so a year, year before the Sexual Offences Act, and Britain and Piers' relationship is still illegal. It's a set of, um, it's, it's O&C Butchers, the clothes shop on Aldborough High Street, sending Britain his bill for the final quarter of 1965, and there are a whole there's a whole list of transactions throughout that autumn, so four pairs of socks, two Viella shirts, uh, Britain buys some bow ties, presumably for performance. And then there's one line just saying shoe repairs, brackets, for Mr. Piers, mm. eight shillings and sixpence. And that brackets for Mr. Piers is basically a message to the auditor and to anybody else who might see this, just pointing out that they are keeping their expenses separate, that they know who's paying for what. Because, of course, they don't have a joint bank account. Mm. So that would really be breaking cover and um, demonstrating that they are a couple. They have to go through... Uh, almost a charade of being um, professional partners who happen to share a house Uh, and certainly that for Mr. Piers is a way of saying not a couple, nothing to see here, (laughs) going to claim that eight and six back off Peter, please move on. But it also tells us that clearly Britain or his representative went into um, O&C Butchers at some stage and said can I pick up Peter's shoes while I'm at it Mm. and they said fine yeah we'll put them on your bill. Um, there's, There's that little tiny little scrap of paper uh, and the whole story that comes out of it yeah. about the, the sort of facades and accommodations and compromises that it was necessary to, for them to go through. Yeah. But also the way that the town basically knew about this open secret and was was supportive of them.
0: I think it's interesting that, yeah, as you say, just a, this little tiny document it, in, in and of itself. Mm. it doesn't, You have to know the background yeah. To, yeah. to that story to understand actually the richness behind that single piece of paper. But it's that that's... Um, an interesting part of your job, presumably, and of any, any researcher, Cause I, I remember reading, um, there was a book came out and I made use of it quite heavily for a, for mm. a piece I wrote a, a few years ago. And it was called, the book is called rather intimidating archives, documentation and institutions of social memory, mm. or rather that was the, um, it was a conference. <laughs> we, uh,
1: we, we do come up with some snappy titles yes, for the archive, so, so don't
0: we? Disappointing that there was no colon in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, and there, it was a kind of discussions between historians or people yeah. um, identifying as historians and yeah. those identifying as archivists. Um, and almost as if that there was a sort of position that they outlined in the introduction to yeah. this, that the, the archivist really is, is their role is just to sort of package the stuff make sure it doesn't go moldy stick it in a box Mm. catalog it and then have no thought whatsoever what beyond that and actually and then the historian and then the quote from this introduction the historian the user the social rememberer gives the archive stuff its meaning so they come along Mm. and then go oh i this is what this stuff means this archivist has now put it nicely in a box but i'm the one Mm. who's going to now weave some gold out of it Hmm. Um yeah quite yes. and then the archivist quite yeah. rightly sort of vigorously <laughs> protested <laughs> against that to sort of say as if as if all they do is sort of sit back benignly and yeah. allow this um yeah. Yeah. this to happen whereas in fact all the decisions you make cataloging wise mm. which, you, which yeah. bits to catalog or how to f- contextualize them mm. that is the, that is part of the job isn't
1: it it, it yes uh, it's an interesting contradiction really in that um it that position that the archivist is somehow invisible mm. and that um, we are almost unthinking agents with bits of machinery, and it's, nothing is understood about this until the historian turns up. It's yeah. something that drives archivists' spare, but to an extent we have brought upon ourselves. <laughs> um, because the whole process of... Uh, you know, the whole business of being an archivist is rooted in neutrality. Um, the founding father of the archive profession in, in the UK, Hilary Jenkinson, um, who you know, s- you know, often contested and often discussed, but remains basically the start point for, for archive discussion. Um, Jenkinson's ethos is very much that of the classic British civil servant. You know, it is not your job to introduce your own opinions. You are mm. simply there as a clear sheet of glass through which um, the politician slash historian expresses their, their opinions. Um, Jenkinson for example was very keen that the archivist should not be a historian. Mm. Um, pretty much the first essay that you end That's up writing as a trainee yeah. archivist is the archivist should not be a historian discuss uh, because the idea was that you would bring your own bias and your own um, assessment of what was important mm. to the collection. And that would inform your decisions, certainly about what you chose to capture in your catalogues, the the features that you chose to foreground through describing them. Mm. And of course, um, later on, as we get into the 20th century and start dealing with massive amounts of bulk in records, it also starts informing your decisions about what you keep. Um, and the enormous amount of decision making that we make, we've tended to minimize because there is this ethos of being the, the good civil servant mm. who, who doesn't intrude themselves in the picture. I think, without wishing to go off on a rant as well, the fact <laughs> that. The go archive on. Prof- <laughs> well, here we go, right, incoming rant. Um, for one reason or another, the archive profession is very, very heavily female. Mm-hmm. And I think there is undoubtedly a gendered element into how we're seen, in that um, the women who pr- uh, who process these papers and make them available are perceived a bit like filing clerks okay. by the grand male historians who then interpret it. Oh. Certainly, nothing uh, is more infuriating than having somebody say, "Oh, I discovered this thing in in a box." Oh you know, God, the, I know was, the, the, the dusty archive exactly. And yeah. there are all these archivists who we say well no you discovered it because it had been sorted, processed, we, you know, we chose <laughs> to keep it, we catalogued it, we processed it, we put it in a box where you found it because you saw it in our catalogue. <laughs> you know, the assumption was that yeah. simply we didn't understand it because we're just the mere filing clerks, well, the, the, that, yeah, the, like the, the women sort of, who bring you your stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. A sort of, sort of Indiana Jones figure, kind of, you know, yeah, it's shedding right. his way heroically yeah. through a kind of yeah, thicket yeah. of dusty archives. Yeah, to find I, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you, want, yes. if you want to
1: see My Blood Pressure or that of any... Archivists spike dangerously, then use the phrase discovered in a dusty archive. Yeah.
0: Do you get the do you get the beige mist?
1: Oh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, we, you know, we, we get as, as furious as archivists yes, tend to. Exactly. You know, we might we might actually tut and raise an eyebrow. You know, Occasionally I might tap a pencil irritatedly on my <laughs> desk.
0: That's a warning <laughs> sign. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that that it's so common, though. Um, I mean, I've, I'm often find if, if, if someone um, wants to perform something mm unpublished by britain so a musician or something and usually the, their agent or somebody will ring up and say, oh, is it true that it had been lost for years and okay. i was like i'm afraid not i mean mm-hmm. i know that would be a much better story i mean yeah. you know come the glorious day we do yeah. sort of take up a floorboard and there's a, a yeah. you know a hitherto unknown ma- massive piece by britain yeah um that that is the day that we can kind of really go for that kind yeah. of thing but and also that the dust thing must must mm sting i mean not least all our beautiful acid-free boxes in the archive but uh, our, our colleague rachel who keeps everything so pristine in the house yeah
1: so, yeah um, yeah i mean yeah. photographs of the stack can be seen on our website Of <laughs> course, yes, we, we, right. we refer you to the gleaming metal mobile shelving it's it's state yeah. of the art there is yeah. there is no dust there That's, no, that is the whole point so. there is a lot of dust involved in the, the life mm-hmm. of an archivist but it's usually when you're going and getting stuff uh it, i mean it, it is it is a strange profession i remember sort of describing this on a blog post at my previous job, how you might find yourself um, in a reading room talking to somebody who's trying to do a, a scholarly edition of a Tudor manuscript, or you might find yourself um, down in a cellar dealing with 50 years worth of, of spider's webs as you see, yeah. try and get boxes out of there.
0: I don't know why this has reminded me. I think it just in terms of unusual storage um, facilities or where the, where the mm-hmm. materials kept. During, during the, in the lead up to the centenary, we had to send mm-hmm. a whole lot of stuff off site because we couldn't physically mm. keep it in the in the sort of interim phase when the buildings were being built and some of it went to a
1: salt Ooh, mine deep store deep yes, store yes where yes.
0: where it's it's completely sterile because something mm. to do with the rats can't get well yeah. desiccators i don't know I, ah. I, i've lost you
1: explain and indeed well as somebody who grew up in cheshire i am massively proud of deepsthorpe because we, we were always told you know there is one salt mine one working salt mine in the country and it's ours we've got it and it's in winsford uh, and later on i discovered uh, that actually in, it's in winsford it simplifies it rather the shaft is in winsford it spreads out for about 6 miles in all directions there, thereafter uh, most of the cheshire plain lies on top of a great thick bed of salt, about 100 feet thick. And um, deep mining has gone on for, for many years. Um, the thing about a bed of salt 100 feet thick is that when you start extracting it, you leave vast caverns where it, it once mm-hmm. was. In this case, 600 feet below the Cheshire Plain. Um, Because it's salt uh, and thus absorbent of water, it's incredibly dry. Mm. Um, Water soaks down from the surface, hits the top layer of the salt, and then it just soaks in and forms a super-saturated solution at the top and can't get through. So down in the the salt mine itself, 600 feet under, there's no water at Mm. all. And thus there is nothing to support life. So there's no lichen, there's no moss because there's nothing on that scale there are no insects there are no rodents it is just a dead zone Um, and the people who run the mine uh, realized uh, in a sense that they were sitting on this gold mine in a sense of of empty space that was utterly sterile Mm -hmm. Uh, they were creating vast ideal archive storage spaces as they uh, as they went along and you know basically they set up a side business uh, where as caverns were excavated, you could rent them, fill them with your own racking, um, put papers in there. Uh, because it is 600 feet down under the Cheshire Plain, <laughs> it's not the most accessible of locations. And so typically, organisations use it to send material to that they're not going to need in a hurry. They have um, s- a small snippet about Deep Store. They, um, they have transit vans down there because it's such a huge site. You need to drive around. Um, but getting them down the shaft is a very complicated process because the shaft is not big enough to accommodate a transit van um, except hanging nose downwards so they have to drain all the fluids out of it and then suspend it from a hook and lower it 600 feet down the shaft and that process is such a faff that when the thing has reached the end of its natural life it's not there's, there's no point bothering to take it up, so they're just driven off into a cavern somewhere to await the paleontologists somewhere. <laughs>
0: God, how weird! Yeah, it's it's a somewhere in the dark, there are transits. all these
1: these dead transits. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just thought it would be. I was just wondering if it'd be more effective to go around a roller skates. So I just thought that would be much more fun,
1: oh, like doing some supermarkets. Now, now you're talking. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should have mentioned that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Right, uh, we've got to roller skating in salt mines in a few easy steps. So perhaps <laughs> <might> indeed, just... <laughs> you
1: you never saw the join, did you? Just see how smoothly we got to that scenario. <laughs> okay.
0: um, so perhaps um, yeah, something something I think would be interesting to talk about. You 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 touched on it already with the um, when you're talking about the receipts that that Britain mm. and peers might be seen as uh, slightly esoteric figures, um, who's certainly who, whose life work is classical music. Mm. Um, and that not so much in their time, but now is less popular. Mm. Um, although anyone who promotes classical music is going to great trouble to try and make it more interesting yeah. and popular. Mm. And, and we're part of that movement. Your, your job and my job um, in, our di- in our, as I say, related, but different ways is to try and make this, do we use the word accessible? I mean, that, that has a bad mm. press in itself, but, but interesting. Mm. Basically, you're yeah. trying to, is this interesting? Perhaps we could just talk a little bit about the sort of um, measures we go to um, yeah. to approach th-
1: that. I think ultimately it's all about human stories, mm. really. Um, and that, that's the case in a lot of archives. You know, diverting briefly, I mentioned um, when I was talking about the salt mine that um, in my previous job, I was at the Wellcome Library, where the, um, the central concept, I suppose, is history of medicine. Mm. And... Um, I learned a lesson really in 1993 when I first applied for my my job there. I'd come out of local government and local government the relevance of that is obvious. You know you're working with the archives of the place that you live in. Um, I was working with the archives of London and you got to lift up the lid of London and see you know, where the water supply is and how all of the city around you works and the relevance was obvious. Uh, and when I applied to, to go to the Welcome Library, My, I remember that the, the train, train of thought that I had was something along the lines of, uh, it's a well-resourced organisation, I'm going to get to do some interesting things there. Um, everything I've heard about them suggests they're a good employer, but aren't the records going to be a bit boring? <laughs> isn't it going to be sort of this dry chronicle of dosages and pharmaceutical formulae? And of course, medicine isn't an abstract science, medicine is human beings. Yeah at their most visceral you know all of the most basic things that we do we're born we die we have sex we eat we go to the toilet all of those are basically sort of grist to the the history of medicine mill and i realized that the same assumptions that i had made before i went there a lot of our readers would be making as well they would be assuming that um this stuff is for scholars who are interested in a new design of forceps or the precise chemical formulae that led to this this malaria vaccine um and actually, it's all about human stories, mm. um, and th- and that is very much the case w- um, with with what we do at the Red House. Mm-hmm. That um, wh- whatever you do, uh, at the heart of it, there are people and people whose lives are are very well documented. So you know, when we're talking about the War Requiem, we can talk about it not merely as an, an abstract piece of uh, of art. And um, I hope that people are picking up the enormous inverted commas, the, the finger, finger quotes that I'm doing around abstract and art. <laughs> um, but the, the War Requiem grows out of a human being's con- um, lifelong commitment to pacifism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that, that is key to, to see that, that the work of art is not an abstract thing that it grows out of a human being's response to the world around them and that could be it can be part of your response to the world around you
0: yes and that 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 seems to me to be to be key and that's that's not doing that kind of um well we can only look at, at a cultural artefact of any sort if they're considered mm. and again with mm. hugely exaggerated quotes relevant yeah um yeah. anything is is relevant yeah. because it was relevant yeah. then then it and then it's relevant it's it's relevance or otherwise changes through time and then so you you approach it you yeah. can't but approach it from your own yeah. period yeah, yeah. Uh, and so all it takes is just a little imagination or, or interest or, yeah. or whatever but yeah and then it's, of course it's our job to make that that seem interesting enough to pursue further
1: the the concept of fun is Mm. not (laughs) you know we we should we should say this stuff it can be fun you are allowed to to listen to something and enjoy it you're not being set an exam you know um and also i mean the concept of what what is relevant Uh, i think you know one of my touchstones as an archivist, I suppose, is na- Stephen Spender's poem uh, um, in an elementary co- school classroom in a slum in the 1930s, mm. where Spender is talking about the immensely constrained lives that these, these children have. And there's a line somewhere about, surely Shakespeare is wicked and the map is a lie because you know, their lives aren't going to go anywhere. You know, they're, they're, they're not What relevance is Shakespeare to them? And, of course, the point Spender is making is that... It's, you know, Shakespeare or the the map of all these other places in the world that that is the escape route that's the tunnel Mm -hmm. that's the thing that gets you out of the slum and shows you a bigger world and so you know I am the thing that I am most challenged by in a sense or the the thing that makes me most want to get up up and wave my arms around and spiel about archives is any hint of this stuff is not for the likes of me of course it's for the likes of you yeah
0: yeah, and 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 that's something that you've you've definitely sort of opened up um, the the archive to literally as many people who want to come as <laughs> <and say> here. <laughs> yeah, so please yeah, and come. You know, we're here to, yeah. uh, and and it's not yeah, it, it's not ju- ju- yeah. just just for, for people to consult manuscripts. So, yeah. It's open daily. It's um, then anyone can come and can come and have a look. And the school groups coming in has been uh, a real Absolutely.
1: I, I, yeah. I, I remember. Um, somebody once asking well you know surely do you, do you give academics highest priority and the answer is uh, yes of course we give academics priority mm. highest priority along with everybody else yes you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know everybody is you know uh, I mean it's, it's a line that I've used quite a lot about uh, the archive but basically there are only two criteria for getting in you know, are you a human being and are you interested in this stuff and frankly, I'm prepared to be flexible about the human being bit.
0: Yes, um, no, we we welcome any other um, planetary visitations. <laughs> oh, <absolutely. laughs> we, we
1: we're, we're not speciesist. No, no indeed not. No. 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 Yes, I mean we have a lot of school groups coming yeah. in, and you know, um, and you know that's that's particularly dear to my heart. It mm. really. It, it, I mean, one of the things that does strike me is the the, the, uh, the concept of this is not for the likes of us. Yeah, You know, these are kids from schools in Suffolk, Britain's home county, the county that he was born in, yeah. that he came back to, and that he felt was absolutely at the roots of his creativity. Yeah. They've got a damn sight more right, if, you know, right in inverted yeah, commas. Yeah. It's, it's much more for the likes of them than, you know, it was, you know Hampstead yeah. or wherever. They are the, the people that Britain came from and the people that... Um, in a, um he he wrote four.
0: yeah and that and he'd be he'd be thrilled i mean yeah, the, the, yeah. with that continuity and the fact that you know i mean with your work and also our, our colleague joe who who's mm. who's i think life's work is to make sure that every single school child in southwark has visited yeah. the red house uh, absolutely he's, a, he's on a real mission there and and well. is some way towards achieving it frankly absolutely I mean, and I'm, the,
1: I'm entirely yeah, up for that yes yes yeah. yeah. so one of the things I'm proudest of uh, that we did last year was uh, broadening our offer to um, local special schools for yeah. example so we yeah. have um, young people with autism and or learning difficulties of various degrees but you know some some um, moderate learning difficulties others non-verbal and, um, and yeah. you know using mobility aids and so forth so you know quite quite severe learning difficulties and and yet you know they are they come they're engaged they're interested and i think the um the ultimate compliment was paid to us really when we found out that uh, when one of the schools fed back to us you know, they had a fantastic day yesterday they came in today and they were just talking about what they'd done yesterday they came in and you know, talked about going to the the red house and going to the archive yeah mission accomplished
0: absolutely and and then with our with our recent very recent merger with mm. Snake Maltings, we've got the kind of full story as well, haven't we? So we've got we've got further stories to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. With with Britain's great investment and initiation of the of the Snake Maltings concert hall in 1967, and then the subsequent Albury festivals that are running to, to this day. So it's it's a kind of the the complete picture of it. Yes. Um, yes. And again, just just. And an then merging, merging with, a, with a performing arts organisation again who who's, who makes huge efforts to try and reach all sorts of different audiences yeah. and, and uh, yes. uh, yeah, fully embedded in, in Suffolk in the same way that we are.
1: Yeah, yeah. well it, it becomes, it comes full circle really doesn't yeah. it, in that Britain performs and composes, that's documented in the archive and then the archive then in turn feeds into a further round of composing and performance by, by inspiring it. Um, one of the last things that we did before the, the COVID nineteen lockdown was host the Aldbury Young Musicians, who's a group oh, of right, yes. uh, teenagers um, that who are learning to write music. Um, as part of a scheme run at Snape Maltings, um, we hosted them for a day at, at the Red House, where they got to see the archive, speak to a, a an act, you know, practicing composer, and write their own pieces. And yeah. they were blown away by the the, the story, the the, the the sort of long um, domestic relationship, the sort of the, yeah. the long love between Britain and Piers, which is hidden but incredibly profound and and you know, central to both men's mm-hmm. lives. And uh, they they went away sort of saying well, you know i've fallen in love with this place i want to come back and mm. god willing they will come back you know yeah. when we're actually allowed when <laughs> well, you know, you oh. know when, when we're allowed back one yeah. of the first things i want to do is let them come, let them in and uh, you know yeah. let them carry on exploring and sort of you know uh, composing on, on you know writing their own stuff inspired by it
0: and yes i mean just just while we're <laughs> we're on the subject um I mean we're having to, to work adapt quite quickly mm. to a different way of communicating and working. So not not so much using the physical spaces of the Red House and the archive and the gardens and the Britain's library, Britain's studio and then also the malting site as well mm. as a kind of lure. So that's a great sense mm. of place that we're so yeah. proud of and yeah. so happy to talk to talk about. We can't really do in the same way other than through mm. photographs. So we're having to communicate through all sorts of other mediums and, and obviously people are, are yeah. having all sorts of people in, in different yeah. areas uh, using social media in as creative yeah. a way as they can. Um, yeah. So I think we're, we're all um, tweeting like mad and, and yep. now I'm doing these kind of daily opus number mm-hmm. um, things, which so, so it's going through ultimately, <laughs> and it may yeah. be, yeah. I was thinking, oh, 90, because Britain wrote 95 pieces with opus mm-hmm. numbers and do one a day, 95 yeah. days, and like well, that's, yeah. I don't know, umpteen weeks, 12, yeah. 13 weeks or something. Surely we won't still yeah. be... You know, Ooh. but increasingly I'm I'm wondering. But but anyway, so the, yeah. there's those. But other things, people are giving kind of lectures and talks, and yeah. and teachers are giving online lessons, and it reminds yeah. me a bit of these sort of old. Open university programmes, you know, very, very people slightly better dressed, but that that were on um,
1: but, uh, but, yeah, you know, given two in the, the morning or
0: whatever. That you'd by the time the, the lockdown of, is yeah.
1: over, I, I, you know, given the, that that uh, I haven't had a haircut for quite some time, I will look like a seventies math lecturer by the time we get out of this.
0: <laughs> so yes, and you mate have you still got perhaps some of your old um kind of ties, a kipper tie lurking uh, in the, the background yeah great well i think i think perhaps the universe is telling us something that that it's time to revive that
1: i I Um, have to say one one thing that the um the coronavirus uh, outbreak has done is totally destroy my mystique as the man who always wears a tie you know suddenly i'm appearing on zoom meetings in t-shirts and uh, i I do feel that this you know when when we go back you know my mystique is totally gone um you know previously i was the the man who wore a suit no matter what and
0: uh yes I know and it's just yeah it's it's actually then then uh, what what's important for a work meeting yeah. is that it's sort of perhaps yeah you know pr- not pajamas I think yeah, it's indeed. about the sort of bar
1: dressed of from, a, from about the yeah. armpits up The armpit, one, yeah
0: <laughs> exactly what's really difficult and i find this and, and you know you and yeah. i are both great talkers and like to kind of like an audience and uh, <laughs> um very enthusiastic in communicating to people yeah. to actually be doing it kind yeah. of into a vacuum and then you're yeah. sort of anxiously yeah. looking at your twitter likes is the only yeah. way of getting any feedback
1: that, um, uh, absolutely yeah. yeah i mean uh, I, I was communicating with you know the other archivists uh, on twitter a few days ago and we were talking about what we miss and yeah. what I miss is waving my arms around mm-hmm. in front of an audience. You know, yeah. I, I, I commented in that particular tweet that my spirit animal is Magnus Pike, <laughs> 70s scientist. We do actually share a birthday, uh, and no. I've always felt, you know, yes, yes, that, that's, you know, basically me, me and Magnus. You know, we've uh, never been seen together. You know, anyway. True,
0: Well, perhaps for our younger listeners who yeah. may, you want to explain who Magnus <laughs> do, Pike Google is, him. Google, <laughs> Google him. Google Magnus <laughs> Pike. Yeah, perhaps yeah. Google YouTube. Great. Well, I, d- I discovered just because of the the late and sadly lamented Timbuktu Taylor that I shared a mm. birthday with him. I would no idea. Oh, so I think that was a, a sad little. But, hey. but nice thing to find out. Yeah. Um, we've again. Yeah. We've we've moved to we, Max's. We, we, we have digressed. Taylor. Yes, um, uh,
1: we, we, we were talking about some ways in which we're we're pumping out stuff no matter yes, what. Yes, really. and,
0: and yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things that is is quite interesting in a way is that. Um, Obviously, we miss the human contact, yeah. but it's proved quite an interesting time to think about other ways of communicating and to spur us into into developing those. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we do at the Red House normally, in, in, uh, in normal open times, is uh, a weekly stories from the archive yeah. talk, um, twice weekly during the high summer season, where basically um, somebody from the archive team or the wider team, yourself included, mm-hmm takes a thing from the collection and talks about it for 10 minutes and it's, yes. it's proved a you know very um, useful little format yeah. the thinking behind it was that 10 minutes is long enough to tell a story but short enough so that people think well i'm not committing a great chunk of my life to a lecture here i'm here at the red house for yeah. the afternoon there's a lot to fit in i mean if it's boring it's only 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah. you> know. <laughs> we have been thinking can we take stories that are too short for those those normal 10 minute <laughs> live slots and do something with them can we turn yeah. them into articles or little short films so we're going to be working on those the sort of uh, little archive treasures yeah um coming up on the website fairly shortly there's Splendid. uh there's a little article that um I, I wrote on an lp from britain's collection uh we have in addition to all of the the paper archives we have their their sound collections shelf off shelf of vinyl lps most of it is uh um is is obviously classical but there are also interesting little snippets showing that britain was listening to other sound worlds i won't preempt. just keep watching the the website and uh, read on when that comes out
0: tantalizing trailer Mm. great and that's kind of um it's interesting what you said about 10 minutes is quite short for in real life talk Mm. but quite long for a for an internet talk in that, in that yeah, way unless you're committing to a sort of ted talk or something but i think it's yeah, absolutely it, true um yeah. i think short short is short is better and short yeah. and often
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um, yes and, yeah. and we're all of us working with um reduced attention spans at the Indeed. moment aren't we i mean it, it's it is just one so of those true. um inescapable things about being locked up away yeah. from everybody else it's yeah. uh, uh, I think probably the wisest thing that I saw anybody write towards the start of this this whole thing was uh, remember you are not working from home, you know you are at home during a global catastrophe trying to get some work done, <laughs> yeah. and and it is okay to to feel nervous or disorientated or or you know have difficulty concentrating. Yeah. That's fine. You know, the world's sort of, uh, going through some quite dramatic stuff around you. You're not yeah. going to have your eye completely on the work ball.
0: It's it's very it's very strange, um, but it's producing unexpected kind of avenues and things, isn't it? I mean, you know, those of us of the perhaps the cup half full side of things are at least going. You know, this is sort of wonder whether this yeah. could inform our practice, or you know, going forward. Yeah, well, a whole sort of dreadful, just businessy thing I just said. Inform yeah. our practice going forward. I can't yeah. believe I said
1: that. <laughs> yeah. So if if you want me to lower the tone, I would say that actually, in a sense, my uh, my. Um, and inspiration here is the windmill theatre in the second world war which, which proudly oh, really? proclaimed, we, we never closed <laughs> yeah. but you know they, there they were surfing up nude tableaus to lonely servicemen throughout the blitz you know. so
0: we are, doing we, the, we are the archive equivalent of, of windmill, nude tableaus yeah. to exactly. lonely yeah. servicemen
1: yeah. i think that we can make a
0: we can make a tagline out of that
1: yeah <laughs>
0: um right uh, so i just i think we're coming to the end of our uh, yeah. allotted time um and so yes we've we've covered we've covered a lot and i think one, one thing we were going to, to talk about was perhaps that that sense of um when you start at a new job i mean you've been at the red mm. house since 2017 is it 2017,
1: 2017. so yes come three years this autumn
0: that's right um and i've been there loads longer um but so I've been, yeah i've been there since 2006 um and when you you come along, I mean, I, I was, I, my background is in music and, and, and I knew quite a lot about Benjamin Britten anyway, but nowhere near as much as I know now, obviously. But mm. um, the extent to which as archivists, as what I do, which is sort of um, engagement and programming, how uh, how much of an expert do you have to mm. be? Because I'm, I'm finding increasingly, I know how to talk about a piece of say, Benjamin Britten's quite quickly once I've kind of like, oh yeah it's mm. one it's that it's that it's that it's that period I can talk about that right and I I'd only have to do relatively little amount of homework now mm. compared to when I started and it's how long it takes you to kind of know enough to stand mm. in a room and be authoritative about it or to approach cataloguing the, col- the collector yeah. papers
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And in a sense, it brings us back to what uh, I was talking about before, about the the Hillary Jenkinson approach, that you you are not a scholar of the subject. It's important that you should not be, because you don't want to introduce your biases. And that's true to an extent, and to an extent that downplays what we as archivists do. I think it's undoubtedly true that as an archivist, you don't want to... um, get too close to your subject you don't want to be somebody who writes scholarly articles about it all the time because then you've jumped the the boundary you know you you, Mm. there are things that you're judging are important about the collection that perhaps you know from another perspective other things might be important you you want to stay um, stay to an extent able to have a helicopter view rather than to have a particular slant on. But at the same time, you, you know, how do you make it available if you know nothing about it? You have to yeah, exactly. be able to uh, assimilate information quickly. Um, I realized years and years ago when I was still a student, I was notorious for picking up bits of weird knowledge about stuff, to the extent <laughs> that people would, would address me flippantly of magpie mind on occasion. You know, I had a mind like a magpie's <laughs> nest full of stuff that, that I'd picked up. You know, and, and I think you, the, the ability to assemb- assimilate enough information yeah. quickly to make the stuff comprehensible and to catalogue it, um, understanding what's going on there, mm. and then to move on is, is a key archival skill. Yeah. Um, you know, So, for example, I knew very, very little about the history of medicine when I started at the Wellcome Library. I knew rather more about Benjamin Britten when I started uh, here. Mm. So, you know, to an extent, uh, the, the job was easier mm. So. Sort of when I've been talking about cataloging to to people, I've sometimes said you know in the in an ideal world you catalog something um and then it, all the information's in the catalog nobody ever needs to consult you about it again uh, because if they do the catalog's not doing its job yeah uh, that's an you know that's a a ridiculously yeah. fundamentalist view on it because actually your, your mind just keeps on filling up with weird bits of information yeah. you know, I, could, I could still tell you now where the, the reservoirs and artesian wells and water treatment works from from london are from back in the, the early 90s with, uh, when i was working on that um <laughs> you,
0: you'll notice i'm not asking you to but uh, <laughs> it's good to know when you're I mean, in some to some degree, especially work around, say, the receipts and the sort of mm. slightly more fringy, let's say, or relatively unexplored areas of the collection that, of course, are not dusty in, in any mm. way, but, are, mm. you know, haven't really been yeah. explored in that level of detail, which are, which are really fascinating. Um, and the sort of subscriptions of Britain and Peers mm. and that kind of thing. Um, and you, you can, you've got the great pleasure of them being, being the person that sort of says, oh, look at this stuff, you know, yeah. this is like, I remember, I remember talking to you one time when we'd found uh, Peter piers's ticket for, for the, the days when you could put your car on an aeroplane. Oh, yes. And yeah. that, I just loved that. I mean, partly because I remember my dad telling me it and I thought, you know, he must have dreamt it or something. But yeah. then I saw it in a Morecambe and Wise film and I thought, oh, well, actually, he was telling the truth. So Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but then you know, it, it turns out that, that, that you could do that. And that's then those sort of literal physical... Um, material evidence of that, which is lovely. Yeah. Just, just on, on, uh, just on the expert thing, I, I was, something struck me. I was going back through some of our old, cause we, we did all these work of the week films and mm. various scenes where, where we would stand and have to be an expert on some, on a yeah. piece for four yeah. minutes or whatever. And I used to get, you sometimes get quite, quite rattled doing those because you say, yeah. Oh, is that right? Is that the right fact? You know, yeah. cause we'll get letters. Cause someone will say, Oh, yeah. I think you'll find it was actually July, yeah. 1956 yeah. that this, um, happened, but actually that the, um, funnily enough the, the two April fools, Films that you and I made were weirdly liberating because you yeah. could just say anything, yeah. and nobody could kind of come <laughs> back at you with anything. Because of course this is rubbish, yeah. and I, I'm thinking, oh, could you somehow? come we do more of these? This is, yeah, but uh, right. but you're adopting the kind of academic persona mm. yeah. um, that you adopt when you're talking about real stuff mm. and realising yeah. how kind of fake yeah. that is is, yeah. it was, is kind of revealing because yeah. you can yeah. just be that person but to mm. talk about something that's entirely fictional
1: yeah. I, I have to say at least one relative of mine fell for the most important pedal oh, I'm, <laughs> this, I'm, is, this is rather silly isn't it I, I'm watch charmed watch it again <laughs>
0: um, anyway yes we, we must wrap up shortly but just Good. speaking of music let's have a mm. quick um uh, catch up on, on what just perhaps just briefly we've only got a few mm. minutes left what what we've been listening to this is something we do at the end of every podcast so what right. music you've been listening to uh what was the last thing you listened to
1: right okay well um my my musical listening is extraordinarily catholic um i i mentioned duke ellington earlier on and perhaps ellington's most famous quote is that there are two sorts of music good and bad and that's the only distinction okay. need to draw <laughs> so In fact, the last thing I listened to, I think um, I I was listening to a mix of stuff last night while I was working on something and I can't remember what was actually the last thing but it was a, a mixture of 1970s disco and Tom Waits
0: Oh, splendid!
1: Uh, not simultaneously but actually you can mesh the two together quite well. well
0: great well if you could provide a couple of actual tracks we'll put them on our increasingly um catholic right. spotify playlist that accompanies um, these podcasts.
1: It, it was the the undisputed truth you plus me equals uh, love and harmony and some weights cold cold ground marvellous uh, great which is off frank's wild years i think
0: we shall get those onto the playlist um and equally catholic um I was listening to, because I've been doing a bit of homework for these, this opus, daily opus number thing, because Ooh, course, although yeah. I know most of Britain's works quite well, I don't know all of them enough to sort of even to talk for 90 seconds about them. So um, I was been listening to a few pieces I didn't know so well, including Cantata Misericordium, mm. which was from 1963 and is a Latin setting of the Good Samaritan parable. Mm. Uh, it's quite a heavy-going piece, but quite um, yeah, good, good and solid and serious and written for the anniversary of the of the Red Cross, um, and and it's mm. it's one of Britain's kind of um, socially conscious um, serious pieces. So that there's that. By stark contrast, um, in my car I have a, a USB stick playlist um, that so I was out whenever it was I was going the other day and one of my favourite um 70s pieces came on which is the dramatics what you see is what you get ah. it's a real smooth classic <laughs> that everyone should know better <laughs> so that's definitely going on the playlist
1: right. um, bring, bringing 70s disco to the people
0: oh well indeed and also see also our other April Fool's film though which we could perhaps provide a link to which um, made that very point. Um, So on that note, thank you Chris, this has been great fun uh, and um, I hope you have a good rest of your day. I shall doubtless see you on a Zoom meeting before too long. Uh,
1: uh, Indeed, I may may even put a tie on for it.
0: (laughs) Yes, just over your t-shirt. just to make the point (laughs) um great and then uh from the red house podcast we'll be back hopefully in a fortnight with another guest bye for Mm -hmm. now